0: This episode of Diabolical features spoilers for Clive Barker's Nightbreed Director's Cut. Everything's true. God's an astronaut. Oz is over
1: the rainbow. the monsters.
0: This is Diabolical, the comedy podcast where four long-suffering friends dissect films most acidly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Gaz, and this week's movie is Clive Barker's Nightbreed Director's Cut. So, peril pals, stay out of the sun, praise Bafame, and war in attendance, and the tens of trillions listening at home. Mm, Let's get diabolical! Reading this little book, just sitting in my chair now about fishing for fish in my book. Sitting in my chair now, reading this little book. It's about fishing for some fucking fish. That's it. it. It's (laughs) okay. Bravo. Bravo. Wonderful. Hello and welcome to this week's edition, which is our Season 3 finale, wherein I and my three friends comprise the panel of peril and we will compete at the show's close to see who can improve the villainous plan of the week the best to earn the remaining points for the leaderboard in the show's competitive round. But first, if the panel could introduce yourselves and tell us who your favourite movie monster is as a makeup design, please.
2: And we shall start with Ben. Hello, I'm Ben. And my favourite movie monster makeup design is Darkness, played by Tim Curry mm. in Legend.
0: Yeah, it's a solid choice. Ah, yes, our old friend Tim Curry. He's got a big
3: chin, doesn't he? Big old chin. Yeah. And big old
0: horns.
2: Who we're all very big fans of on this podcast.
3: Well, TC, absolutely. We are, but I'm not a massive fan of Legend to be
2: honest. but We may have <laughs> talked about and lauded Tim Curry more than any other actor on this podcast.
3: Deservedly so.
4: Perhaps. Or Billy Crystal or Michael Keaton, one of the two. I'm
2: not sure they get lauded that much, but yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> they get mentioned.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, TC's very close to all our hearts, for sure. Yeah. And next, let's
0: have Countertaculars, please.
4: Hello, Counter here.
3: Blah, for possibly the last time. <laughs> uh, my favorite movie monster makeup is Edgar from Men in Black.
2: Oh, uh, very good.
3: Vincent D'Onofrio, alien bug in a, in a man suit, especially the yeah. bit where he tightens his skin.
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's that physical performance as well, isn't it? It's yeah. just yeah. great. Yeah.
3: yeah, fantastic. Yeah, like
0: he's just crammed into it. Yeah. And. Adam.
4: Hello, Adam here. My favourite movie monster makeup will come as no surprise to the panel here and it is of course the legendary The Thing because it's just so fucking good and
0: for me it's the cream of the crop. Which Mm. particular version of The Thing do you have a favourite or will that come on a later episode perhaps?
4: Yeah, I think we best not talk about a thing (laughs) too much because uh, it will definitely come up, I'm sure. Either either I choose it or somebody else will, but it will be picked. So, But yeah, I love it all.
0: (laughs) And my favourite movie monster makeup is The Pale Man from Pan's Labyrinth. I think it's such a simple idea. No eyes in the head, but they're in his hands. Put up to the side of his head. The impossibly thin limbs, uh, which were lopped off with green stockings, CG'd off. Yeah, he's he's, uh, terrifying. And eating the little fairies as well, of course, that are buzzing around. Oh,
4: yeah, horrid.
3: (laughs) (laughs) He was on my short list, along with Abe Sapien, also portrayed Mm -hmm. by Doug Jones. The hairy version of Dracula from Gary Oldman's Francis Ford Coppola's (laughs) Bram Stoker's Dracula. And Tetsuo, not the Akira one, but Tetsuo the Iron Man. You know, where he gets all the the machine parts stuck to him. That was, that was like my, my little shortlist. Oh, I'll tell you another good one. Speaking of Clive Barker, is that Cenobite that's got like the mouth in the stomach and like the wrinkly head. Looks like a potato. Oh, uh, Better Ball, the big fat one. Better Ball. That's, <laughs> that that yeah.
0: <laughs> that's great. Yeah, he's good.
2: I also thought of uh, just the Lost Boys, the Vampires of Lost Boys, just yeah. because. I think it's so iconic, and it, it spawned a generation of copycats that mm. you know, that's how vampires look, with the, the kind of bumped forehead.
3: Yeah, yeah. we said Buffy, mm. didn't we, when we did that? Yeah. yeah. Could anyone else not get out of their head that Craig Sheffer it looks an awful lot like David Boreanaz?
2: Yeah. I was going to bring it up later, yeah. Okay. Yeah. and maybe I will again. <laughs> it's, it's pretty uncanny
0: uh, at times when he's shot from the right angle.
2: Yeah, I mean, we'll go into it, I'm sure, but the whole creature design... Craig Sheffer, it could have been Angel, like a a blueprint for Angel. Really, Mm. I'd have thought you picked the uh, the woman who goes into the computer in Superman three. Oh wow, yeah, very similar to
3: behind (laughs) me, but she looks more like uh, the C three PO Joan Rivers from (laughs) Spaceballs.
0: Clive Barker's Nightbreed is a film with a tortured history. Hot on the heels of his highly regarded and successful debut feature Hellraiser, Barker's follow-up project was to be a more difficult proposition for the film's studio. Barker's tale of peaceful monsters whose only desire is to be left alone to their own devices was at odds with the Money Men's insistence that monsters are neither heroes nor characters in their own right and exist only to be burnt. Released in 1990 to poor reviews and worse box office, Nightbreed could have been a footnote in cinema history, but a groundswell of support from Barker's fans led to a very rough new cut, the Cabal Cut being assembled from extremely poor quality footage found at Barker's house, amongst other places. And finally in 2014, thanks in part to the Occupy Midian fan movement, a definitive director's cut was assembled. Featuring new sections of score, new sound, new monsters, and 45 minutes of alternate and new footage, Nightbreed was complete. The film tells the tale of the town of Midian, which houses monsters shunned by regular society, forced to defend themselves against the bigotry of local law enforcement and a manipulative serial killer played by film director David Cronenberg. It's my favourite of Barker's three directorial efforts, and I think it holds real magic and has been hailed as a spectacularly queer film in Inside Popular Film, and the first truly gay horror fantasy epic by Alejandro Jodorowsky. But what did the panel think? And we'll start with Ben again. (laughs) Oh,
2: lucky me. I'm like the bell of the ball. Ben Ah. of the ball. The
4: ball of the bag. (laughs) Bell of the end.
2: (laughs) I'm a bit torn on this one. I can see you really like it, Gaz, and... Hmm. I think on one hand, I did enjoy the creature design. I thought the world building was great. But then on the other hand, I thought the story felt undercooked. I can't imagine what the film looked like before the director's cut because I imagine it was dreadful. (laughs) It already felt like there were a lot of set pieces strung together, kind of very, very tenuously. In in that way, it, it reminded me of Batman, which we watched for last week's episode. I thought some of the performances were a bit weak, particularly Laurie, I'm not sure it's a performance thing, but the chief of police, perhaps this was more his motivation. I didn't really get why he was so gung-ho and angry about everything. He's
0: just a racist <laughs> hick, isn't he? A racist, bigoted uh, hick.
4: He, I just thought he's uh, <laughs> like a buff Hitler. <laughs> that
3: is a great call. But Mr. Bronson from Green well. That's I, it. Yeah. That's who he reminded me of. Yeah, exactly. It does seem like he's in a different film. His performance yeah. is so over the top compared to all the other human characters.
2: I really enjoyed David Cronenberg's performance. It was a surprise to see him in it.
3: Star of Jason
2: X. To see him give such a a great performance, that was worth the watch, I think. But yeah, it was a, a bit of a mixed bag for me. So... It gets, uh, watch it if it happens to be on late at night and you're not feeling sleepy yet out of five for me. <laughs> fair enough, fair
3: enough. Do you know what? I'm really enjoying uh, your rating system yeah. much more than your stupid fucking broccoli one. <laughs> it's, it's harder to collate than the
0: broccoli system, though, I would say. Yeah. Harder to know what sits above what.
3: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I like about it. Do
2: you reckon the, the marketing for this, I think, didn't do any favors either? The...
3: Have you seen...
2: The original poster, yeah,
0: it's fucking dog shit, isn't it? It, it tells you nothing about <laughs> no. what the film is. No, she thought she knew everything about her boyfriend. Laurie was wrong. It's like, right?
4: What, it doesn't even make any. I think there's so many, so many things wrong with the with the way they've tried to present this film. You know, from start to finish, essentially.
3: They wanted to sell it as a slasher, and it is a very mm. slasher tagline. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like uh the night he came home kind
2: of kind it of never was a slasher, was it? And they've just they've yeah. just cobbled it together. It's a, right. It's a shame. Yeah.
0: The yeah, exactly. studio have tried to retrofit it to what they imagined it was gonna be. Yeah. Next we shall have Adam, please.
4: I used to like going into places that you sell DVDs and finding like the low budget horror mm. Clag. The ones with the crazy names, maybe like a particularly interesting cover, like, you know, like Zombie Flesh Eaters 3.
2: Lesbian vampires.
4: Lovers of lust. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay, maybe this is a bit of a, you know, one of those kind of hidden gem type thing. But yeah, it's a bit all over the shop, isn't it? Really? It feels like sort of like a music video and like a horror film, like smashed together without any music It was weird. And I just, there's loads of times I was, I was thinking, have have I just missed something then? Yeah. But then I hadn't, I, and I rewound it a little bit, you know, 10, 15 seconds a bit. And then I was like, no. And then I was looking afterwards and it said that this director's cut was supposed to sew it together. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm constantly thinking WTF. What does that mean? So I (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking what the hell Like like you were Ben What the hell must this look like Because it's a mess now What must this look like beforehand It's no wonder it, it did so poorly To be honest I like the overall message of the whole thing About finding somewhere to fit in And things like that And I can see that it had that sort of narrative Not quite as overtly as say Rocky Horror was but it's it's kind of in there, isn't it, sort of thing. So I did kind of like that. And then some of the creature designs and, this, and the makeup. And obviously there's a lot of love uh, and attention has gone into those. And I really enjoyed those bits of it. But the rest of it, in a way, really, it was like a glorious mess. If somebody told you, you've got to watch this film, you won't believe how. It just swings from one thing to the other. And, uh, you, and just to watch it, it is great, really, in a way. Um, so yeah, I, I was I was a bit torn. I, I did I did enjoy it, but at the same time, I was like, "Blooming heck, what a ride!"
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to explain why you're wrong in a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but first, shall we hear from Countertacular?
3: Yeah, I think everyone's as torn as Narcissa's poor face. <laughs> I think it's kind of plodding. And uneven, uh, hard to follow. It has plot threads that don't go anywhere. It has plot threads that feel like they're unnecessary. But it's beguiling. And I, I watched it twice. I think it probably would mean more to you to see this director's cut assembled if you had seen the original theatrical cut, which I hadn't, because you would kind of have an idea of what the story was meant to be before you went in. But for me, I uh, it, like like you said, it it was meant to sew it together, and it feels like it's done that. But it feels like a bit of a patchwork rather than a piece of tailoring. Yeah, mm-hmm. the seams are kind of visible, but it was just so much fun and uh, yes. full of great moments. A lot of the direction I thought was a bit pedestrian, but there were a few real standout moments where I was like, "Oh, this is cool as shit." Uh, which will come <laughs> up in what's your favourite yeah. sequence? I'm sure. <laughs> and as ever, Danny Elfman on the score elevates everything he touches. It's a great score, Ace score.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I see. You see, when you said pedestrian, I thought if you told me that was Danny Elfman's score, I would have been like, wow, really?
3: I just got Danny Elfman's stink all over it. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I was just I thought it was possibly his worst effort that I've ever heard. Anyway, I don't get that at all.
3: It is so. So Danny Elfman that the sequences in Midian they really reminded me of Beetlejuice when you go to the undead bureau and you've got to wait in line for your fucking appointment because <laughs> yeah. you see all these monsters like just little brief flashes of them mm. and I thought is this reminding me of Beetlejuice because it is like Beetlejuice or because Danny Elfman's all over it I think it's probably a bit both mm. yeah I, I thought the score was great
4: well I've got a quote from Danny Elfman here and he said basically what I did for Nightbreed was I ate the music that I didn't use for Batman, shut it out and then put it on Nightbreed (laughs) Did he say that?
0: (laughs) No (laughs) 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 Uh, Well my first experience with the film was watching the theatrical cut mm. in about 2003 2004 for my film studies degree and at that time I did think I don't get why people like this film so much it it is a mess (laughs) It basically, the original version, the monsters are portrayed as bad guys a lot more. Mm. You don't get any of the stuff with Boone and Laurie at the start. Mm. It cuts pretty much straight to Decker killing the family. It's just, it's it's not
3: good. And uh, is it the priest that resurrects Decker at the end yeah. in the theatrical cut?
0: There's a post-credit scene in the Cabal cut. Okay. It's very brief. Yeah. As to your previous point, there's plot threads that are left dangling and don't go anywhere. Yeah. Barker's ambition was that this would be a full series of films.
3: Right. I I thought so.
0: Yeah. Kind of his superhero franchise in, a, in the horror mold. Right. Part of his deal with the studio was for three films. Ah. Two Nightbreed films and a third film, which I seen. the third film was what wound up being Lord of Illusions. And then the other film wound up not being made because... They fell out so badly because, once again, Lord of Allegiance was butchered and the director's cut was issued some years later. Uh,
2: it makes no sense to me why yeah, they would do that. It's crazy. You pay someone to make something and they just you just mm. they stamp all over it. Yeah. There was obviously a story in there somewhere, a good story. You could see in there, like, the seeds of, of something that could have been great. Yeah, mm. Mm.
4: There's loads of times where you think, ah, this is where it's going to catch now. And it feels like every time it's just about to catch, it's like the needle skipping on a record. It just misses misses bits out. Yeah.
0: If you think about it in the terms that I've just laid out, like a superhero franchise, it's almost like an origin story, isn't it? It's like yeah. that first X-Men film yeah. where it's like, it's good, but it's a jumping off point for everything. To come, yeah. So, like the the priest character was to be the main bad guy going forward through all the subsequent films and so forth. He was literally right. just stuck
3: in at the end to set up what's mm. coming next.
2: I was going to say it felt really shoehorned in that character, mm. but that mm. obviously makes sense now. Yeah,
3: watching it the second time, I was thinking it would have been better if they'd left him out of this one, and if mm. there was going to be a sequel, do it as a kind of flashback at the start of the second one. Yeah, I, I think the problem, maybe it's a bit of naivety, but with most successful franchises, unless you know you're going into it, like a trilogy or something like Lord of the Rings, but if it's something like X Men, that movie had to satisfy itself, and it didn't leave anything really dangling. Do you know what I mean?
2: Say those words again. That whole sentence again. It had to
3: satisfy <laughs> itself, and it didn't leave anything dangling.
2: Uh, that's the end of the episode because that is.
3: Where, where do you go from there? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? Like, yeah. there are plot points that pick up in later films, like Wolverine's Wolverine. origin. Yeah. yeah. You don't get to the end of X-Men thinking, what's Wolverine? Probably because most people already know it from the comics. And maybe that's true of Barker fans, you know, fans of the novel Cabal. Yeah. Probably knew where it was going.
0: Remember, though, the, the deal for Nightbreed 2 was in place obviously it hadn't been greenlit but it was contracted to to do it so reasonably after the success of hellraiser he would have expected to have the backing of the studio and the cachet with general audiences
3: i'm thinking more of the audience like from the audience perspective when you go into Mm. fellowship of the ring if Mm. you didn't know that two Towers was definitely coming out next year you'd be really disappointed by the end of that (laughs) Yeah, true. But with Nightbreed, if you you knew Nightbreed 2 was coming, you might go, oh, actually, that was really interesting and I'll wait and see what Nightbreed 2 brings. But if you don't know that going in, I think you'd get to the end just a bit confused about why some of it was in there. Yeah. Even Decker really. Is there a lot of point in him being a serial killer? It's a bit
4: mad, isn't
0: it? Yeah, but I mean, as far as the way the film looks, I was sure that Ben would like it because for me, it's like... Mm purely visually it's it's a more adult version of labyrinth i think right. going into this mysterious world with all these crazy creature designs
2: mm. so that part i did mm. and I, I so wanted to buy into it because i thought it looked great but there wasn't enough there to to hook me
0: yeah mm. it's the part about barker's direction being quite pedestrian i, I disagree i think he's got a very distinct Visual style in each of his films it changes. In in Hellraiser, there's lots of shadow. In this one, there's a lot of soft focus, and the camera is always moving. It's never static. Mm. And then in Lord of Illusions, it's it's I think it's been a while since I've seen. It. I think it's sort of a more verite style. I love Clive Barker's films. I think it's just shocking that he only ever made three after the studio mm. fucked him over twice in a row.
4: Well, I think I think he's a, he's a victim of uh, the editing, really, isn't yeah. he? Yeah.
3: Possibly.
0: Mm.
4: But, I mean, it's, it's one of those films that's gone on to have the cult status, isn't it, as I understand anyway? So mm. that in itself is probably better than... Well, no, mate, it's not better than having a smash hit film, but, <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? It, it's, it's always yeah. nice for a, um, yeah. you know, a film that doesn't do particularly well to become recognised later on for, for things that weren't necessarily uh, obvious at the time. Mm.
3: Yeah, and don't get me wrong, there are flourishes in it that I think are excellent. Mm. I don't want to step on anyone's favourite scenes, but I, I didn't feel that his direction was pedestrian throughout. Mm. When he does something, he really does something, and, and uh, there were definitely moments that I could pick out.
0: Yeah, I've got quite a list, but I'll, I'll narrow it down to whichever mm. ones left over after after you three guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Following on from the opening question, what's your favourite monster design in this film? Have you got a favourite
2: monster in this one? Uh, mine's the beast. The Beast, which which one's the beast because he's called the beast? He said the beast feeds the guy with uh, like the kind of dreads. He's a oh, yes, yeah. um, mm-hmm. boon,
0: yeah, palaquin. Mm.
3: He's got two designs, hasn't he? He's got like his uh, resting bitch face and then his uh, <laughs> his vamp face, his, his monster face. <laughs> resting bitch
0: face. Yeah, it's good that isn't it because he's already a monster, but it's like but he's got an even, even more monstrous form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> I like how they've modulated his voice as well. He sounds genuinely quite intimidating to me. Very, very deep and slightly distorted. Works really well.
2: I, th- I think he's great, yeah. Uh, mm. I love the way he
0: speaks. And, Adam, do you have a, a favourite monster in this one?
4: Probably those uh, weird things they let out at the end to finish off the cops. The Berserkers. The berserkers, that's it. I was trying to think, what was it begin with? Yeah, the Berserkers, because they're obviously a night breed, have gone over the edge, haven't they? So.
0: Mm. They were freaky. Yeah, they look like they're made out of mud or clay.
4: Yeah, they reminded me a bit like something like of an old Doctor Who episode. Oh, okay. I can't remember what. Yeah. I, can't I thought you what.
0: were maybe gonna say the Oracle for a second then. That was the thing that they sort of remind me of. No. <laughs> Just a flat no. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Favourite monster in this. Yes. I think mine is Porcupine Lady.
0: Yeah. Hmm. She's what's her yeah. name? It's quite a complicated name, it's over it is. hanging on, for it. Uh,
3: s- sassy shy
4: or yeah, something, yeah, something like that, isn't it? Porcupineina,
2: Spikella,
0: uh, uh
4: needle nose.
0: yeah, por- porcupine lady's fine. Uh, tuna sassy, <laughs> yes, <Shuna> <laughs> sassy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, tuna butty, <laughs> <laughs> tuna sani, <laughs> what's your name, tuna sani?
4: <laughs> Sorry, Lord. you say tuna butty. <laughs>
0: just in the opening dream sequence where Boone is being chased by mean-faced shunasasi and i think Palakwin might be there as well yeah she's uh, instantly like who is that
1: <laughs> mm.
0: just going back to the idea of continue it there are a lot of i think the marvel comics continue yes Yeah, it is Marvel, yeah. But they are long since out of print and they are not cheap, let me tell you, on eBay. (laughs) (laughs) But my favourite monster in the film, I don't think he's named, it's the chunky fella who's fishing for eels in Big Bowl. And he has all the cliched lines like, there goes the neighborhood. And it turns out he's got these massive (laughs) fucking worms
4: that come out of his stomach with claws on the stomach. Wrap around his neck and then go up (laughs) there.
0: I love that reveal.
3: And while he's got a gun pointed right at his face, and the guy's like, give me one good reason why I shouldn't shoot you. And he goes, I'll give you two. And it takes him like eight seconds for these things <laughs> yeah. to come out. Just fucking shoot him!
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: he would have been done for. <laughs> shoot him, check in the sun, <laughs> <Yeah>. jump them. <laughs> that sequence where he's fishing, or he's feeding blood to the eels out of mm. his finger. Yeah. That was one of the bits of direction that I was like, this is clearly someone who's not used to... Because there was another monster behind him, who was completely black with horns, and he's against a black and white checkerboard background in a very dark room, and you can barely see him. Maybe the the director of photography was at fault for that one. Actually,
0: I think quite a lot of that sequence is basically a big montage of monsters in Midian. It's The first time you properly go in, isn't it? And that that yeah. was quite a lot of that was cut uh, from the theatrical yeah. cut. too. so that might have been part of the issue where the studio maybe thought it was
3: substandard, mm. the shooting of it. Yeah. yeah. It's a, a fair criticism. It's a wonderful set and yeah. you could argue that it doesn't get shot in a very uh, show-offy way. Mm.
4: No, I think it's like the third act, really. You, you start to see how you know well-designed it is because yeah. in the first couple of acts, I guess, really it's quite cheap and you can see... You know, where the the grass becomes a painting and stuff like that. And it's like, uh. Mm. but then you go, oh, towards the end, you go, oh, they actually did have some money. And that's when you start seeing more Nightbreed and they roll out all the weapons and stuff. Right. Maybe it could have done just with a bit of better editing in the first. Yeah. The fight that
3: Boone and Decker have on the rope bridges is fucking crazy. The stunt (laughs) working, I was like, what? (laughs) Just like jumping onto a rope bridge, like fucking six feet away. It it was
2: the the scenes in in Midian were the the parts of the movie where I I really wanted more. Mm. I thought, yeah, it was a shame we didn't get to explore that a little bit more. Right. Because, yeah, like Gaz, like you said earlier, that was the Mm. most, like, kind of that labyrinthy other world experience. Yeah. The feeling
0: that I get from the way, like, the main hub of it with the rope bridges and, and so forth is shot is that it was probably quite a small set. And he was trying to make the most of sort of going low and shooting up at angles to make it look a lot bigger than it was. Yeah. I don't really know because I I don't think there's any on set footage that I've seen Mm. showing the actual scale. But yeah, interesting. Shall we move on to favorite sequences then?
2: Mm. Yes.
0: Countertacular.
3: My favorite sequence starts when the lady drops her pastry on the floor and the cream she's picking it up <laughs> and putting it yeah. on the counter for ages yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> when she looks up there's a there's a head on the counter but then yeah. it continues and uh, this is one of the best pieces of cinematography in the whole film is uh, when you go to the room and you get Laurie's POV looking through the hole in the wall yeah. into the next room and then, then you get the police coming out of the van that whole sequence was really brilliantly conceived and shot I, I, I loved that, I thought it was great
0: mm-hmm. Good pick.
4: Yeah, my note for that was, what the f- what the fucking hell cake was she eating?
0: <laughs> yeah. The creamiest cake in the world.
2: I believe it was a cronut.
3: With <laughs> cream and jam inside.
4: It was just like, it looked like some sort of wallpaper paste mixed with jam
3: <laughs> and a
4: donut and a pastry. And I was like, where the hell did she get that from? You can't get that in <laughs> <laughs> Okay, should we have...
2: Ben's next. So, as I already mentioned, my favorite part, which was the sequence where we see Laurie going down into Midian and we get to see a bit more of that. But uh, I'll go for another one when well, I like the uh, the weird armorer guy in the police station. Fishing out <laughs> all these weapons.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. That oh, did make me laugh.
3: <laughs> the boring. nerdiest armorer. It's so tonally different to the rest of the film. Yeah, it's crazy. It kind of reminds me of the bit in From Dusk Till Dawn in the Titty Twister when they're getting all the super soakers and condoms and stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Just tooling up a bunch of people that the director obviously hates. (laughs) And wants to make them look as schwattish as he possibly can. (laughs) Yeah. And Adam?
4: I've got to say, I always enjoy a film where you see a baddie with a flamethrower getting blown up. (laughs) (laughs) Makes my day. You
2: have got a pawn shop for flamethrowers, haven't you? Oh, I love a (laughs) (laughs)
4: flamethrower. Pushes my buttons in all the right ways, love.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's. it's, uh, Is it poetic that his own flamethrower gas canister explodes? Mm -hmm. Something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. it's very satisfying. <laughs> it
4: is very satisfying.
0: My favourite sequence. I'm going to go for the flashback to the berserkers before they were initially imprisoned, mm. where you're seeing sort of medieval type night breed fighting them, silhouetted against a, a sort of uh, a dusk lit battlefield with people getting put on mm. pikes and mm. armaments and tattered flags. I think visually, one of my favourite sequences in the film. I think it looks great. Great creature work, great Mm. animatronics. It's
3: like the flashback in Gary Oldman's Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's
4: Dracula.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's the name of the film, and you're correct. It is like that.
4: (laughs) I think it's key with those monsters that are like huge, grotesque, scary things, that they use a bit of shadow and some silhouettes and stuff like that to create a bit more of what you can't see, which is yeah, always one of the Biv. the finer points of, of being a good horror director. Totally.
0: Mystique. Mm-hmm. Mm. Did you have any other uh, favorite sequences to share, Countacula, from your lengthy list? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> It might cut into mine or someone else's favourite line, but I really love the sequence of Decker in the gas station with the old man. There's a great line in that. I just think yeah. the whole sequence is really fun. Mm. Yeah.
0: It's unexpected, that scene, isn't it? Because he's, he's the hit yeah. gas station owner who's normally like the harbinger for sending people to their death, but he, he likes the nightbreed and he wants to become one of them. And he's trying to defend them from interlopers. Yeah, it's it's a nice little scene. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, we, we we've we mentioned or touched on all of the, the ones that I put in different ways, like the fight on the rope bridge is another one. I just think it's an incredible sequence. I, I was kind of baffled by the stunt work because it, it looks like a wrestling match where you know it's kind of fake, but also you know that the people's lives are in great danger. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: just one short drop away from a broken neck. <laughs> yeah.
3: One thing that I noticed is Captain Eigerman, the buff police guy who we were talking about earlier, he what calls the priest Pinhead. Do you think that's a Hellraiser Easter egg? I
0: think I've never
3: caught that. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, it
4: must be. Yeah.
0: Did you know how? I watched Hellraiser two for the first time the other day. Never seen it before.
4: Hellraiser. Yeah. in well, <laughs>
0: Pinhead, right? He's in it for about five minutes. <laughs> And you find out his origin. He was like an army captain. There's like a smiling photo of Doug Bradley in his army uniform with like <laughs> slicks black hair. And then he just gets turned back into a human about halfway through and killed. I was like, what the fuck? Oh, <laughs> I can't, I can't
4: I've, believe I've it. I haven't seen it for ages. Yeah, <laughs> Crazy. Well, he's
3: definitely in more of the sequels after that.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: But I don't
3: I know if I've seen like,
4: the first one, to be honest.
3: Oh, the first one's brilliant. Yeah, you have. With the, yeah. the puzzle box thingy.
4: Yeah.
2: No, I've never seen it through. Obviously, I know the iconic pinhead, and I remember yeah, seeing i I can, yeah. you know, I can visualize there used to be a video shop. Do you remember where, where Topshop was at the top of Corwin? Yeah. There used to be a yeah. video shop there. I right. can remember seeing so, Hellraiser on the wall there in VHS. <laughs> Kevin, but no, video, it. yeah. Oh, yeah,
3: Kevin that's video. it. Yeah, Kevin, video. Well yeah. done. I thought we watched one of the Hellraiser sequels as well when, when I was in Blockbuster, but I think it was one of the shit ones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah they did about six or seven of them in the end i think didn't
3: they? yeah yeah and mm. a reboot right three bits okay with a different pinhead actor
0: yeah she's good mm. but yeah the film's so so okay we'll move on to favorite lines then and i don't believe adam's gone first yet so let's have adam
4: first favorite lines it's pretty easy it's from the guy dishing out the weapons and he says Always count on the friendly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ding
1: ding 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 ding.
0: <laughs> Horrible bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once again it's Barker
3: driving home how yeah. much he hates these fuckers. <laughs> yeah, it's very yeah. very A cab. <laughs> yeah. In the gay scene it was probably quite common to get hassled by
4: police at that time.
3: Yeah. I dare say.
4: Yeah. Did you hear about what happened to Paul O'Grady when he was doing Lily Savage in one of the gay clubs? No, no. The police raided while he was doing one of the shows and they came in and searching for drugs and stuff like that. So all their their gloves on. He went, Oh, good. You come to help do the washing up then. (laughs) 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 I thought that was absolutely Um, brilliant. Yeah. That
0: was great. Quick as a whip. What a guy. So let's have Ben next.
2: Well, I will leave the gas station. Line for Countertacular. Okay. <laughs> it is a beauty. And I'll say my other favourite just made me chuckle because it reminded me of Mighty Boosh. It's uh, when Boone's running to save Laurie mm. from Decker. Yeah. And uh, is it Lylesberg, the leader? Yeah. Yeah. He just shouts, Boone? <laughs>
3: Boone! <laughs> 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 That's Doug Bradley. <laughs> Yeah. That's it. It. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like tick, isn't it?
1: Spoon!
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if my gas station line is the same as what yours was going to be. Decker says to him, I am death, plain and simple. Say it. And then he just stabs him. And he goes, <sighs> then don't say it.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the one I had. It's really
3: good. Just the sigh that he does. <sighs> then don't
1: <Yeah>. say it. <laughs> I,
2: I think his performance is great, actually. I, yeah. I think he, he's really chilling. He's good, isn't he, Cronenberg?
0: He's almost, he's obviously not playing himself, but he, he's very naturalistic. That's how, the manner that he comes across in most of the interviews that I've seen him in.
3: I read a quote from somebody who knows him saying he is playing himself, basically. That's just. Uh, <laughs> What he's like, obviously not a killer, but yeah, Yeah.
2: that's how he talks. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and that mask, the button is it button mask? Mm. It should be way more iconic than it is. It should be up there with pinhead, I think. It's amazing the design of that creepy as fuck. Yeah, 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 really good. It's like sort of scrunched to the side, just the the way that the mouth is off to an angle.
0: Yeah, I guess it's the, uh, the asymmetry of it that kind of throws it off and makes it slightly more unsettling than it would have been. If it had all been straight yeah. on. Yeah, that's and it. Yeah. My favourite line is from Palaquin to Boone upon his first discovering of Midian says, Everything's true. God's an astronaut. Oz is over the rainbow. And Midian is where the monsters live. Because you mm. kind of you get the scale of Barker's ambition there in a very operatic mm. way. It's it's yeah. quite over <laughs> the top, but in a pleasing way to me.
3: Yeah, and Oz is a very Friends of Dorothy reference to throw in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely.
0: Yeah, you, you get sort of the religious overtones with Baphomet and the fantasy with Wizard of Oz. and um, Yeah, yeah. Good stuff encapsulates the essence of the film in a couple of
3: lines. My gas station one was a backup, and I was sure someone else would go for my first choice, which is Narcisse saying, Of Decker, to Boone. I want his balls in his eyes. Unless you want them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In Nightbreed, Dr. Philip K. Decker tries to cover up for his own murders by manipulating Aaron Boone's memories during their therapy sessions together. Convincing Boone that he is a serial killer of 15 people, Dekka purposely causes Boone to be shot to death by police outside the mysterious town of Midian. Unfortunately for Dekka, Boone has been bitten by a member of the Nightbreed, the monsters who reside in Midian, and resurrects soon after. Upon learning that Boone is alive and has returned to Midian, Dekka vows to finish him for realsies and kill every last member of the breed for good measure. What a twat. But what did the panel think of the Good Doctor's plan? Ben?
2: I'm coming straight in hot with the broccoli rating. It's 12. It's 12 flocks of broccoli. Let me explain why. It's genius. Manipulate a a mentally unstable patient to believe they've done all the murders. Because even Boone was believing it for quite a bit, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only bit he couldn't have foreseen is is the bite from Palanquin, you called him. And that bring him back to life. Otherwise, I think his plan was, his certainly his initial plan was executed to perfection. Yeah. If Boone mm-hmm. had stayed dead, decker would have got away with it and carried on killing breeders for the rest of his days. 99 times out of 100, he's staying dead. Yep.
3: <laughs> Doesn't really make a ton of sense. that Because we don't see any of this. Why does Boone have dreams about serial killings? It's not really shown very
0: clearly, but the way that I've kind of squared it in my own head is, you remember in Hannibal, the psychic driving that he does to Will Graham? Oh, yeah. Right. I think it's something like that, implanting the ideas. That would have been great to see a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, like a, a, mm. a form of hypnosis where he's convincing him that it's him.
3: Right. Just a hint of that would have elevated this quite a lot. It would have made his part in the story feel more relevant, I think. Mm. Well, based on that, what what did you make of uh, Decker's plan then counter Well I think generally it, it's quite good But he takes a big fucking gamble Saying Boone's got a gun doesn't he What if they don't <laughs> shoot him at that moment And they go and check to see if he's got a gun <laughs> What then Well cops
2: Copso. They just shoot well, him yeah.
4: Yeah. He's got a gun Or oh, he's got a fork Bang 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 I think the same excuse
2: would have worked though He was reaching into his pocket Yeah
4: It's funny, though, isn't it?
0: It's basically like a shrug. I thought he had a (laughs) gun.
3: But if they didn't shoot him, he wouldn't be dead. That's the risk that I mean. Less so than
4: him having to explain why he said it. Just then what? He's a psychiatrist, so he knows
2: knows how cops work. Uh, At that point, Boone was totally believing he was a murderer. He was telling Palanquin, wasn't he? I've killed people. Yeah, I've
4: killed 15 people.
0: Someone lied to you.
2: The way his character is, he would have... He believed it, it was him already, so he would have owned up. He would have confessed, even though he wasn't sure, really, that it wasn't him. You could be right, actually.
4: You could be right. I tell you what, eh? you've got points on.
2: Now and again, I do have them. <laughs>
4: <laughs> i got two points for you. Here, my nipples. <laughs> <laughs>
2: there goes the
0: neighbourhood. And what do your nipples tell you about Decker's plan, Adam? My nipples
4: <laughs> were uh, very firm and erect at uh, Decker's plan for its pure evil content. So I do applaud him, although I found it confusing at times to decipher what was going on, but that wasn't Decker's fault. But his plan was quite, quite
2: devious. Do you give him extra points for the flamethrower?
4: It's not. Oh, it's not his. It's the. It's the. It's the armourer at the at the the cop station, right, isn't yeah. it? So I can't. Yeah. You know, it's amazing that the cops have got access to such a vast array of like military <laughs> gear. Essentially, yeah. they've got a rocket launcher. It's like hot
0: furs, isn't it? Frigging
3: landmines.
4: Why, and... why do they have a garage <laughs> I'm so glad they did though, because it just makes that last battle that much more interesting. And it's always great when yeah. they just go, "Let's just throw." the kitchen sink out of this battle. Yeah.
0: great. I'd uh, go along with three Chaps. I think Decker's plan, as far as Boone convincing him that he's guilty of the murders that Decker's been committing is fantastic. Great way to get away with it. What happens to him, presumably having the same MO, just stabbing families to death after Boone's death. Who knows? Who knows what his plan mm. is from there. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He goes in a bit cack-handed into Midian. He's, he's got an army of uh, bigoted cops behind him, but he has no idea what is behind those gates. of The mausoleum, I think, they enter through to, to get down properly into Midian. So that's his, uh, his fatal error, not knowing what he's letting himself in for from that point forward. But the initial plan it is very good. Mm. <laughs> Just before we move on to the competition style round, we should like to thank you very much for listening to our show so far. Do remember, if you like what you hear each week, please subscribe, leave us a five-star review and follow us on Apple Podcasts if you're on there. It's the best platform to help us grow the podcast and you Peril Pals are an important part of that process. If you aren't on Apple, rate us on your provider of choice and follow us on socials at DiabolicalPod now including mark zuckerberg's fading fast platform of threads and elon musk's fading fast platform of x sounds fucking stupid doesn't it
4: not forgetting chinese spyware chinese spyware TikTok. tock yeah. <laughs>
0: And now we come to the part of the show where the Panel of Peril compete for Precious Peril points on the Perilous Leaderboard. Each member gets one vote, which will equal one point on the board, but do remember you cannot vote for yourself. Our task this week is to knock off Boone and the Nightbreed whilst evading Discovery as a serial killer. So... Let's do this!
3: I've started to appreciate how it echoes as it comes out of <laughs> yeah. our headphones into yeah, our mics. Doesn't it? Yeah, it does, isn't it? It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
0: First up, we're going to
2: have Ben. Oh, God. Ooh. Oh, God. <laughs> ding, Just based on the Trafalgar surrounded by pigeons going, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh from slicing up some dirty, nasty breeders. Decker puts his feet up and starts to channel surf the hundreds of obscure channels on early 90s cable. He stumbles across a nature documentary and sees armies of ants trooping back and forth, diligently bringing sustenance for their queen. The little bugs remind him of the nightbreed, living secret lives deep underground, and it gives him an idea. He scoots off to his friendly neighbourhood industrial concrete supplier, stabs up some of the staff and falsifies records for the purchase of approximately 141,230 cubic metres of concrete, roughly enough for a 100-storey skyscraper with a floor area of 2,000 square metres. He signs the paperwork in Boone's name and hides the bodies. He doesn't want them to be found just yet. He then joins the concrete convoy as it makes its way towards Midian. Once it arrives bright and early in daylight hours, Decker directs the blue-collar bubs to pour all of it into the tunnels leading into the hidden city. Being particularly customer service-oriented, they oblige with a cheery smile and a jaunty whistle. <laughs> Soon, Midian has been completely filled in and the night breed encased in impermeable concrete forever. <laughs> Finally... Decker moves the bodies of the concrete firm employees to Boone's apartment and then tips off the good old boys in blue. Well, amazingly,
3: concrete is the first idea that I abandoned when I was coming up with my plan because I thought I couldn't make it fun, but you did it. (laughs)
4: I was going to one-up you on that I was going to get him rolling out a garden hose and just leaving it running into it it and just pulling it up slowly
3: water Oh, that would have been really
2: funny My first plan was Decker was going to pay loads of homeless people to collect cans he was going to melt it into aluminium and then pump that in but I couldn't think of how to make a furnace big enough
0: (laughs) (laughs) Magic The answer's always magic
3: Yeah. Decker stabs up the staff at the local recycling plant and melts down 14,300 aluminium cans. (laughs)
0: Did the concrete contractors not need like building permissions and sort of proof of what the materials are being used for? Or are they just allowed to roll up at a graveyard and pour? Hundreds of thousands of tons of concrete down into a hole in the ground. <laughs> Just
4: don't worry about it. Just
2: get it done. Well, <laughs> I haven't got a, an awful lot of experience in, in the construction industry. I will be the first to admit. But what I understand about paperwork is that if you see paperwork telling you to do something, you do it. Or it's your ass, boy.
0: <laughs> what I always say with paperwork, yeah, is I give a little wink, cheeky wink, and I say, I'll file that and I chuck it in the bin.
4: <laughs> I'll file
3: it under B.
0: So... I'll file it under
4: M for miscellaneous. Yeah.
3: <laughs> How long do you think it would take to film Midian with concrete? Oh, God, not long. About three hours. <laughs> About three hours? I posit to you that would be more than enough time to escape.
4: Yeah, wouldn't they try and escape at the same time? How
3: long does it take them to escape in, in the film when they escape? Less than three hours, I think. How long was the film? But once the concrete goes down,
2: their feet will get sticky. And then, because it's quick-drying cement, that's what I forgot to tell you. Ah, well, I'm going to tell you something. And we're going to put this in
3: the show notes. I watched a video, would you believe it, last week, of a guy who put himself in a big container and had them pour concrete in with him to see if it could set. And it doesn't. And he's, like, bobbing around in it for ages, like 40 minutes or something. And he's, like... It's a myth that you get can get stuck in concrete. That was
2: like the point yeah, of the video. But he hasn't got the quick-drying stuff. <laughs> How I see do, you know what, do you know
4: what I thought you were going to say then, Countertacular? I thought you were going to say, "Oh, last week uh, I actually sat and watched concrete dry, you know? That's <laughs> a, a spot-on
3: impression of me and things that I do. I'm
2: grey and I eat peas. <laughs> Norma. <laughs> well, there you go. That's uh, there may be some limitations to my plan, <laughs> but uh, when I was watching the film, I couldn't help think of ants. And you know, have you've seen that really satisfying thing they do, where they pour aluminium or, or concrete into an old termite nest or ants oh, nest, oh yeah, and then they pull it out, it just it looks amazing yeah. to see. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was what poor, I was
4: poor ants, poor termites Sounds brutal.
2: Yeah, it is a bit brutal, mm, it but it's cool to see the um, the nest. Mm. All righty then. No more questions, I take it. No. 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 I just want to add two more words. Fool proof. (laughs) As always. As always. (laughs) Let's have Adam next, please.
4: Dr. Philip Decker, a skilled psychiatrist, is leading a double life. Double decker. Double decker, yeah. Yeah. Oh, delicious. Soft on the top, crunchy on the bottom. Double-decker.
3: <laughs> I've been waiting for some, some way to use double-decker in the whole episode, and you fed it to me. I'm Double, so happy.
4: Like, well, like a double-decker. <laughs> fed you a double-decker. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> By day, he is a respected professional helping others with their mental struggles. By night... He is a twisted serial killer, driven by a dark desire to satisfy his bloodlust. However, his life takes a dramatic turn when he discovers a hidden truth about himself. He is not really human, but a highly evolved kind of nightbreed. After a particularly brutal killing spree, and in a mild panic about his uncontrollable rage... Decker finds himself strangely drawn to the secluded realm of Midian, where the Nightbreed reside. Unbeknownst to Decker, his mum and dad were monsters who gave their freakish son away at birth for looking too much like a normie. Rotten bigots. No wonder he's always (laughs) been kind of bigoted towards Nightbreed. It runs in the family. He's been subconsciously seeking a connection to his true identity. Quite a surprise to him, as he'd just thought. He was an evil, sadistic git. The Nightbreed, sensing he is killed many, many times, reluctantly welcome him into the fold, and they perform that funky ritual they do in a film. Goobble, gobble, goobble, gobble, one of us, one of us, they chant. <laughs> the Nightbreed are puzzled why somebody so clearly evil looks so human. To make them feel better and to help fit in with the strange look of his newfound friends, he occasionally sellotapes custard creams to his face. <laughs> he tells everyone they just magically appear. <laughs> as his as, as stay in Midian lengthens, he begins unlocking latent nightbreed abilities. Psychiatric powers make him convince anyone to do anything. At first, just getting other nightbreed to stick Lego up their bottoms with hilarious <laughs> results. But later, a bit more diabolical. In Midian, Decker begins to integrate into the nightbreed community. Initially, relishing the freedom and power his newfound identity brings. In the real world, Decker's mysterious disappearance is treated as a missing persons case. The police open an investigation. Over time, Decker's dual nature, demented psychopath and bigoted nightbreed hater start to take its toll on his psyche. He becomes tormented by self-loathing. He has found an answer to why he commits brutal crimes, but has also become the thing he despises most. As Decker lives among the nightbreed, he notices their flaws and insecurities, their weaknesses. Differences he once found intriguing, now secretly irritate him. He sees himself as powerful and unmatched, the perfect life-form, tainted by his nightbreed brethren, this inner turmoil festers. Decker, consumed by hatred for himself and the other nightbreed, begins murdering and mutilating some of the nightbreed in his ceaseless revulsion. The community are now on high alert, fearing the humans have found them, or perhaps something worse, that some of their kind don't always play by the rules. Decker, using his psychiatric power to manipulate one of the more pathetic characters to commit and be caught murdering a Nightbreed kid. Confessing openly to his crimes and also revealing they are part of a new Nightbreed organisation that seeks to remove the lesser monsters, taking up all the ugly. Horrified but also frightened and paranoid, Nightbreed boss sets out to find these detestable traitors to their kind. Decker continues to use his psychiatric power to influence and frame innocent nightbreed, sowing distrust and suspicion at every turn until the paranoia and distrust spills over into conflict and civil war. Just as the violence kicks off, Decker leaves the community in a purposely looking dishevelled and buggered state and stumbles into a police station. Recognising him as the missing dude from the posters, the police immediately give him a blanket and some warm cocoa. Decker tells them he's been kidnapped by a murderous bunch of freaks, responsible for all those terrible murders he's heard about, that live in the graveyard at Midian. The cops know it. He tells the cops they're armed with all sorts of weapon and to go in armed to the teeth themselves. Going along with the cops, he shows them the way in. They find a scene of chaos. Bodies lying everywhere. There's freaks fighting freaks, freaks cowering, freaks fleeing. It's a cop's wet dream, I tells (laughs) you. What the nightbreed don't do themselves, the cops mop up. During the ensuing bloodshed, Decker is wanking himself dry in the back of a (laughs) (laughs) bootstrap, earning 20%. So, how is Decker Nightbreed in this narrative? He just is. Yeah, I just sewn it into the story. His parents were. I've yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. His uh, hitherto yeah. fore-mentioned parents.
4: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I just created a. Well, they're not really characters. They're just like he just finds out that he was uh, the son of a uh, two nightbreeders. All right. Of all of the
0: the nightbreed, are they long sighted? Can I not see that he's just solid tapes? Custard creams to his face. <laughs> no,
4: he, it, I, said, I, did, I did say in it, it said he just t- he just tells them they magically appeared.
0: <laughs> so they know that they're custard creams and they're like, oh, yeah. oh that's, yeah. that's an interesting Yeah, yeah. I think uh... that they, they
2: probably
4: think he's a bit weird.
2: <laughs> is, is he sticking to custard creams only or has he got has he got a, uh, an array of biscuits? I
4: think it depends whether he can get out to like a 7-Eleven at various times of the day, to be honest. Gas station. Really well. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. So yeah good custard. point. I think a custard cream will probably survive three or four reattachments with sellotape before it starts to disintegrate. <laughs> At least that's that's my experience anyway.
2: Oh it's a sturdy biscuit.
3: I think what's what's got a lot of retape to the face value is a garibaldi. You could probably take that <laughs> yes. to the face for a couple of weeks.
4: And if it starts to disintegrate, you could get dead flies and put them back onto the biscuit <laughs> right. so it looks like none of the currents <laughs> are dropped off. <laughs> aren't Garibaldis
0: just a bit too shiny for the uh, sellotape to get purchase on them?
4: Oh, yeah, they're a bit slick, oh, aren't no. they? Oh, no. Like that clay somewhere. No, it'd be yeah. better if they, the Garibaldis, if they were shinier, it's like sticking to like a shiny surface with sellotape, it'd stick better rather than sticking to a, a surface that's not...
2: Ah, one. because it's mm. flat. It's yeah, there's fewer So uh, see. Oh, you've torn my plan apart now, haven't you? <laughs>
3: well it's got a nice rough surface, but it's only it's a one day biscuit. But it'd be great as a fig roll, especially if you have it like fig side out. So it looks
4: like you've got really <laughs> slim <laughs> Eyes. <laughs> what do you mean? No, they're not fig mate. I've got, a, I've got I've got cataracts. <laughs> Conjunctivitis is that that's called where I come from.
2: My biggest. So he he is nightbreed in yours. Mm-hmm. So when yeah. they smell him, they accept him.
4: And they know he's he's been killing anyway. And then eventually he sort of gets drawn to Midian.
3: I mean, in season one, I would have said no right off the bat for that because surely that's outside the scope of the rules to change a character's backstory, but whatever. This is season three, baby. Season three, (laughs) all all
2: fucking... (laughs) The gloves are off. (laughs) Just just because apparently now anything goes in season three, just to go back to my plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can't escape because it's daylight. That was the point I made. I've yes. got to reinforce yeah. that. Uh, okay. <laughs> I did mention they arrived bright and early. Okay. In yeah. In daylight. Is, it, is so okay. You see, there was this line. Is it daylight? They arrived now? <laughs> and early in daylight.
4: GMT I've, plus
3: one. I accept that, and I've made the note of it. I think it's a good explanation.
2: <laughs> Anything goes in season three, baby. Yeah. Right, I'm going to quickly it,
3: change it. my plan. Um, so that in my version, Decker is God.
1: Uh, and he, just <laughs>
3: he, just, he just
1: waves
2: <laughs> a
4: finger and it's gone.
1: <laughs>
2: oh, in, in my version of the plan, Decker owns an industrial concrete firm. So <laughs> the <false> firm. <laughs> Decker, the concrete
3: industrialist, as he famously is in... in... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any
0: further questions for Adam?
3: I don't think
2: so. Uh, I thought it was very uh, dastardly, actually. Mm
0: then let's have Count Attacula's Diabolical Scheme.
2: Okay. Decker
3: coolly surveyed the slaughter at his feet, the slaughter at his hands. He saw his prey as the spider sees through the eight holes of his button eyes. He smoothly slid off his mask and casually fixed his hair, brushing the fingers of one hand through the fine locks with a single sweep that left no strand out of place. His face placid, dispassionate, he drew the implements of his deliverance from the inside pocket of his immaculately unruffled jacket and began his post-mortem staging with the calm precision of a surgeon. The skin of the body caved like the rubber of a child's eye-popper toy under the tip of each quill before relaxing back into shape as they pierced the epidermal layer. Shuna Sassy's quills recovered from the cemetery at Midian. He took his time, never breaking a sweat, and once his masterpiece was complete, he strode nonchalantly out of the crime scene and into his car, before taking a leisurely drive to the police station. Once there, he strode across to the front desk, with the serene manner of a freshly chilled cucumber, and withdrew a pristine clear evidence bag from his inside pocket, containing a single bloody quill. He waited patiently as the flustered desk sergeant wrapped up his telephone call, and only once the Onyx Black Receiver had been replaced, Decker began to speak. I need to speak with Captain (laughs) Eichmann immediately! (laughs) New evidence has come to light! (laughs) Eichermann exploded through his office door apoplectic launching his shrimp salad sandwich at the wall What? (laughs) he asked (laughs) the sides of his moustache flaring like lit dynamite fuses (laughs) The man in your custody may be the killer but he had an accomplice said Decker (laughs) slowly and deliberately offering over the sanguine rapier sharp spine Eicherman eyed the thing intently, one eye squinting hard, the other as wide as a prairie dog hole, and through gritted teeth asked, What is this, some kind of city knife? (laughs) Why, it's a porcupine quill! But no ordinary porcupine. This one is a real hot mama. A regular succubus, I tell you. I'm saying she's a monster. And so is Boone. Try stabbing him real quick. (laughs) Eichmann explains that they've already discovered Boone has no pulse, and Decker tells all he knows of Midian and its supernatural population. You see? They're real bad news. You better call in the National Guard, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Eichmann eagerly drafts in as much support as he can get to raise Midian, and never questions how Decker came across the evidence, because he is very, very stupid. I think you'll see that I've embodied the role of David Cronenberg there. (laughs) Cool as ice.
4: (laughs) I like the way you said he was uh was it sacheting across the floor like a a cool cucumber or something? Right. I just had immediately I saw a cucumber just like sliding across the floor (laughs) in my mind. (laughs) With a trench coat on.
2: (laughs) So in the end, they would go and raise Median, which is what they tried to do in the film, anyway, right? With, yeah, but they were the police on their own. There's a hell of a lot of explosives. That I mean, that practical effect is is incredible. How high that explosion goes, by the way. It's but, pretty good,
3: uh, but yeah, this time they bring the national guard. Are these are the guys from Rocky. That no, the they're cave? better than the guys from Rocky. They have a, of a <laughs> lot more Rocky. firepower. Rocky, not Rocky. Uh, <laughs> Rambo, Rambo.
2: What's on what was it called?
3: they're better than the guys from Rambo and there's a lot more of them as I say it's a bit of a throwaway line I'll admit but he raises as much support as he can so it could have gone through what that was but it would eventually get to be the FBI because they'd be interested in something like this probably the the local army
2: Spooky Mulder
3: yeah love it didn't really think it was worth getting into it all but as much support as he can basically means he'll get anybody who's local and available and there'll be a lot more firepower than there was and they'll, they'll literally raise it. It won't be, like, you know, a few grades or whatever. It'll be, like, properly destroying the place.
0: Would, would the National
3: Guard really come
0: for the hearsay of a supernatural underground city?
3: Well, all cops are bad is kind of one of the messages of the film, and I think they're all itching, especially the FBI. They're just they're sitting around. They're waiting to do, like, a drugs bust or something, if they get a call and they don't have to say, "Oh, it's monsters," they can just say, "You know, it's a cult and uh, they're underground in this cemetery, and we want to." Before they end up committing suicide, we want to bomb the fuck out of them so they're all
2: dead. <laughs> they would all jump at the chance.
3: Okay, okay.
2: Well, if there's one thing I know about the Pentagon and the brass at the Pentagon, yeah, they'd be they'd be
3: up for it. They'd probably offer to lend napalm, airstrike, that kind of thing. Yeah,
4: mm-hmm. yeah. Or oh, they've got plenty of cluster munitions at the moment they want to get rid of, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, just, yeah. just be like, yeah, just give them away. Just fucking get rid of them Ah. Anyway. But yeah.
2: saying that, this was 1990, wasn't the Gulf War? Their all their bloody uh, would well, their uh, their national guard would have been. No,
4: it's the national guard or the home guard, aren't they?
2: Yeah, but that's what that's what I mean. They'll be busy guarding other stuff like the Pentagon, Fort Knox, from what from the Iraqis. <laughs> Not the national guard in the
3: area of Midian, and you know the local FBI
2: cuz the national guard fill in for the for the soldiers that are away right
4: no they respond to like uh, emergencies at home and stuff like that don't they basically they are deployed so That's they wouldn't like be it. filling
2: in for all all the soldiers that have gone away to the gulf war well, No, cuz
4: they don't really do anything domestically do they Apart from no they train. don't it's it's the national guard right. will get called in you know say the police need to quell a riot or something they'll call in the national guard they'll never call in the army okay unless the national guard couldn't handle it i think i think i don't know but that's, it's always the National Guard first, isn't
2: it? What what weaponry would they be using to raise Midian? More than the kind
3: of explosives they use there. they will be using demolition-type charges to, to re- destroy uranium. the complex. Anything that the FBI has at their disposal. So they will be raiding first. There's just a lot more people with a lot more firepower than they had in the film. They only had, you know, realistically, they only had 20 guys there, right? And I'm talking about probably more like 200.
1: All right.
3: I've just thought of one potentially
0: fatal flaw in your plan. Um, Mm. How do jurisdictional lines work for the National Guard and the FBI and the CIA and so forth? Because Midian is in Canada. (laughs) Is it? It's just news to me. I don't even
4: know where it took place.
0: They do mention it. They do, is it? In a throwaway line. It's on one of the car journeys. It might be Laurie in a line of dialogue.
3: Mm. Well, I think that's—it's wow. fair to say—that's information that I didn't know, <laughs> <laughs> and
4: it's therefore devastating. What I to will my say case. is,
3: the Canada still has a national guard; they'll just have their own one, and it'll be yeah. in their interest to defend their territory. Yeah. Canada makes it better actually because they'll have the Mounties and most of the X-Files was filmed in Vancouver so we know the FBI have jurisdiction in Canada so they're still in the Mounties obviously
2: have the cattle prods and they've Baker, the wolf dog <laughs> does that mean the police in that breed are from Canada then? I'm not sure I'm not sure
0: whether they come over the border I've just googled it quickly because I thought hang on yeah. I think it's Canada it says here the wilds of Alberta, Canada <laughs> I'm sure Calgary might be mentioned.
2: How close is it to the border? This is going to be some good some some <laughs> avid listening for the for the Pearl pals.
4: They do have a reserve, so which is the national guard equivalent. So,
0: yeah, the the Alberta border and Calgary specifically is right on the border by uh Montana
3: and Washington. I think the biggest thing is they don't give a fuck about jurisdictional lines for the <laughs> Don't give me, me that jurisdiction. jurisdiction. <laughs> you can shove it up your ass, and you can only imagine that. buff Mr. Bronson would be, if anyone tried to tell him it wasn't his jurisdiction, he'd probably grab the nuts and you know he'd... make out with them and then kill them.
4: Or <laughs> <laughs> start doing YMCA or something. <laughs> okay then. Any more questions for Countertacular?
2: Well, I'm going to be the first to say I will not include the Canada part in my consideration because I didn't know that either.
0: No, Mm. neither did I. Fine, fine. Okay, I will finish with my plan. sewing up my cute little mask getting away with this might be a big ask but when i put my mind to it i know i can get through it and go stabby stabby as much as i like decker sits in his comfy office chair for the next hour pleased with himself for coming up with such a wonderful pop song in the spirit of the moment he'd always dreamed of becoming a singer in a band Slipknot was the name he had pre selected for his imagined band due to his fondness <laughs> for sewing, knitting, and other such like crafts. <laughs> yes, sir, Dr. Philip K. Decker, you really are one talented son of a bitch, he thought for that hour. <laughs> doctor? Doctor, I've been here for half an hour now, says Boone all of a sudden. No, this isn't the start of a traditional Dr. Doctor, doctor gag, but rather yeah. an expression of frustration on the part of our tidy-whitey wearing hero. This is the session that the two have wherein Decker is driving the idea into Boone that he is the person killing all of the dirty families. And keeping that, it's solid, so don't bug me about it. <coughs> the first part of Decker's new plan sees him following Boone directly to Midian instead of going along with Hugh Quarshie and the Popo. He follows Boone and sees his meeting with Palakin and Moonface and notes the bite mark that Boone receives from the more aggressive of the 2 Nightbreed. breed. Why? I could create quite a little ditty about this unexpected turn of events, (laughs) Decker mutters under his breath whilst reaching for a little notepad with the heading Song Ideas scrawled on the (laughs) cover. But whoop, no time for that now. Boone is running from his tormentor, although the one with the face shaped like a moon isn't overly aggressive. Upon reaching the gates of Midian's overground graveyard, the police are waiting for Boone as before. But Decker is intrigued about what he has seen and no longer pretends that his patient has a gun in order that he be shot to death. Instead, he asks that Boone be transferred to a secure psychiatric unit to be assessed under his care. That same night, whilst alone in the padded cell together, Decker murders Boone and slices off his face and the bite mark from his shoulder. He swaps clothes with his denim-clad fool guy before lopping off his own face in one fell swoop. (laughs) Stuffing Boone's face into his pockets. as he (laughs) This didn't seem as mad when I was writing it. Taking me by by surprise reading it back. (laughs) It seemed quite logical.
3: (laughs) <laughs> stuffing. were you on acid at the time <laughs> <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time <laughs> perfect <laughs>
0: stuffing Bean's face into his pocket as he swiftly departs Decker of course is an expert mask maker and will make quick work of the perfect specimen he has just gathered and the shoulder thing too Fearing his pounding heart rate might give him away upon his return to Midian, the psychiatric psychopath takes a drug that slows it to a near imperceptible degree as he parks <laughs> up at Midian. <laughs> with his boon mask on and him seeming to have no heartbeat, Lylesburg has no choice but to allow Decker entry into the underground city. But when undergoing the ritual of baptism with Baphomet's blood, Decker squirts the remainder of his heart rate drug into the font which has the fortunate side effect of killing all of the Nightbreed via magic <laughs> and therefore <laughs> rendering me the winner of this week's episode. <laughs> simple
4: as that? Wow. That is, um, yeah, succinct.
0: <laughs> so that was the kernel of my idea to poison Baphomet's blood. And right. then I was like, but what's he going to use? And then I just thought, a thing that could give them heart attacks and I yeah. went no further than that I was just like that that'll probably do it rat poison <laughs> yeah
3: sure yeah. why not yeah. so <laughs> his heart rate being slowed does that not incapacitate him in any way no uh,
0: he uh, has <laughs> uh, he's got like um, like a little not, not a bike pump like a squeezy pump but not not something to measure your pulse, and that squeezy pump pumps blood around through his brain and everything right uh, so, so the heart rate is quite incidental because he's doing it manually like in his pocket he's got okay. he's got a fake arm through one coat sleeve and he's, he's got his real arm underneath in his trouser pocket, manually pumping his own blood.
3: I'll just add fake
2: arm to my notes. <laughs> Uh, it will need to be a fake arm because I put it to you that regardless whether the heart's pumping or the manual pump, it's still going to create a pulse because the yeah. pulse is the pumping of the blood around the body. Yeah. Well, he's also <laughs> coated uh, his uh, he's skin. He's got another fake thing,
4: arm. There, uh, the,
2: <laughs> like, like
0: a metal silent, silencer type thing, like you'd have on a gun. Holy but he's, he's painted that. it onto Jeez his skin. Christ. So the, the sound of the pulse <laughs> can't come out through, through that.
2: Oh, good. Good. He's thought of yeah. everything. Problem solved, George Lucas. <laughs> Wait, how the hell did he cut the arm out? What? Cut the What's that going to do, cutting off a shoulder? The the bite mark.
3: That's yeah, all he cuts off. But... He slices the skin off. And Then he slices his own skin off and puts the bite there so that they think he's Boone, yeah? Boon, yeah? Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. All right, yeah. but the bite mark doesn't revive Boone because it's been cut out. Yeah.
4: Is this plan supposed to be his... Hard to follow as the actual film itself. <laughs> is that the? It is a nice
2: homage. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good question, actually. Yeah, why
3: does Boone? Why does Boone not survive
0: having his face cut off? Uh, he, I imagine, he would uh, die of sepsis.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which. Isn't revealed in the film, but is the only thing that can kill all Nightbreed. Yeah. So well, no, because also the heart rate slowing drug can kill them all as well. Oh yeah, of
4: course. <laughs> yeah, but there's no continuity in the film. They can't be killed by conventional means at some points, but then they can at other points.
2: I uh, it's it, I think it says it makes the point of saying they can be killed in different ways. It does, on a, it does. On a say monster
0: that. by monster basis. Oh, look, <laughs> potluck monster
3: potluck. Do you know what? I actually really like the concept of. Just poisoning Baphomet's blood. Yeah, that is good. I don't think it could be done in that
2: way, maybe.
0: Will I disagree?
2: I think your ideas are good, Gaz. It's, uh, it's the execution. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, see now, is now, it? Yeah.
2: But I did enjoy it. <laughs> Would Boone's face wrinkle in his pocket? when he cuts it off and puts it in his pocket, would there be wrinkles or would he be able to straighten that out? Possibly,
0: but he's got uh, in his other pocket where he hasn't got his concealed hand pumping his own blood, he's got the syringe, obviously, with the heart rate slow medication, but he's also (laughs) um, got a a tiny, tiny iron, which is powered (laughs) by two... D size batteries. Those are the big square ones. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love a D.
4: Yeah, they've got a bit of weight to them, haven't they? Yeah. Love a couple of Ds. You know when you're holding a D cell. Yeah. yeah.
0: So that that'll, that'll oh, kick right. out a good bit of power. You can eye in the face. Get it sewed on.
4: Yeah.
0: Bob's your uncle. Banish your aunt.
4: Bit of trivia for you. Seventy-five percent of people given a D cell battery blindfolded knew it was a D cell battery.
3: Wow. Seventy-five percent out of sixteen. How many? <laughs> I love it when the uh, adverts for like highly ironic acid or whatever or shampoo are like 75% of 12 women
4: agreed. And, and then it says a, a, a distance of 10 meters. <laughs> <laughs> Can you see any dandruff yet? No, no, yes. Okay, stop there. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Any more questions?
2: Well, one thing about your plan, Gaz, I will say, Mm. is that if Turner votes for it now, we all know it's shenanigans.
4: (laughs) 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 How would you (laughs) spunk, Gaz?
0: Those plans were flaming diabolical, weren't they? We had Ben's plan to fill in Midian with hundreds and thousands of tonnes of concrete like an antive. Adam's plan, wherein Decker would infiltrate Midian as uh, he remembered that he was actually a nightbreed and he would sow a civil war which would allow the cops to enter and mop up the rest. Countertacular's plan, wherein Decker convinced the cops that the nightbreed were in on the murders with Boone, using one of Shunasassi's quills, and the National Guard, the FBI, and all kinds of people would join in to raise Midian. And my plan, which involved Decker fashioning a new mask of Bean's face <laughs> and poisoning Baphomet's blood. <laughs> so... Everybody could cast their votes, but not for yourselves, please, saucy babies.
3: I'm glad <laughs> yeah, that and stick around. <laughs>
0: okay, first of all, I'll reveal mine because then I can keep scores. First of all, I have voted for Adam because I like. Oh, the concept it's over. No, nope.
2: no point voting.
4: Civil no, wait a minute. Board. Wait. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I suppose
0: it is. Yeah. So Adam has a point on the board Well, fuck you
2: guys. I'm
3: going home.
4: <laughs> Good night. <laughs>
3: I think if if all the other three votes are for the same person, then yeah. I think it can still be a tie, right? I think that's right.
2: <laughs> Gaz, confirm or deny? But you'd have to. Someone would no. have to
3: vote for
0: themselves, then, though. Yes. Wouldn't they? Yes. Which you can't do. Oh
3: yeah. yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me hang on. Just give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to change my. I forgot about the rule. We're 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 so it, yeah. sorry.
0: <laughs> so, so- <laughs> okay. <laughs> so next, shall we have Adam's vote, please?
4: Well, it was a plan that basically called for more teeth. So my vote has gone to count. Tacular. Oh. Tacular.
3: It is. I like that it calls for more teeth. It's very on brand. With the and name that if? I'm going to have to give up. <laughs> 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 and if we have Count Attacular's vote, then... Well, do you know what? Against my bad judgment, because I never want to hear his name again, I have voted for Bean. Bean.
4: He uh. <laughs> can continue with this circle jerk there, Ben. And
2: in yeah. returning the favour, I have voted for Count Spectacular. Oh, oh wonderful. Yeah. Very close
0: amongst the top three, at least. So (laughs) (laughs) the final scores for season three, I'm going to go from the bottom to the top. So in final place, many people say it's the best place. Many people are saying 16 points (laughs) is myself.
3: It's a respectable score.
2: It is. (laughs) I I tell you what, Gaz, any other season, you'd have bloody won it. You'd have walked it. (laughs)
3: I think so. Then in
0: third place for the season with 20 points is Ben.
3: Well
2: done, Ben. Well done, Ben.
3: Well done, Ben. <laughs> is the wife going to be happy about that? Uh,
2: she'll she, she look at me with a, with a, a special kind of disdain.
3: <laughs> she
2: saves only for failure.
3: If they commit sepulchre. <laughs> <laughs>
0: in second place with 21 points is... The former countertacular. And winning season three with 22 points is Adam.
3: Uh, it was a hell of a run at the end. It was Adam a hell of a run at the end. What a, what a sprint at the end there. You dwarves are natural sprinters, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Very dangerous, <got> short distances. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Would we like to conduct the ceremonial new naming... Ceremony. The I ceremony, a name, ceremony. honestly I,
4: I didn't think it was getting. I thought I, was I told just you gonna...
2: to use a name last week. What, what do you mean you didn't think it was going to happen? I, I, you, I, I, you only I, needed gen, one point. I was <laughs> freaking I was shitting it. I, the pressure was getting to me. This week. <laughs> <laughs> Even I prepared one in, in the unlikely event it was a draw. <laughs> um, we can just unveil it next week. If yeah, you, I'll if unveil it on the
4: episode because I'm I'm doing okay. the host anyway, and I so. You are. On next week's
0: episode, launching season four, Adam will reveal his special new name that he gets for winning season three. But he will also be picking the film. So what shall we be watching?
4: Well, peril pals and my fellow panel of perilers, we should be watching the classic Jim Henson film, The Dark Crystal. Woo! Oh, here we go. Here we go. Oh yeah! I'm a oh, dark yeah. crystal virgin. <laughs> and in and seen. poppy's oh. cherry. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, beg your pardon, Count You're very wonderful for the very last time.
3: Oh, thank you.
0: <laughs> Just before we leave you, I have a podcast recommendation for our listeners right now of Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Matt covers animated movies based on comic books with the twist that he features a different guest from another podcast each week. Our very own Craig has featured twice now, covering Justice League, Ooh. The Flashpoint Paradox, and Justice League Doom. And I can attest that they're a lot of fun and well worth listening to, along with the rest of that back catalogue. But the most important thing is that you join us next week as we begin a brand new season. The scoreboard is set to zero and we will be discussing... The Dark Crystal! Would you be so good to join us? Until then, remember, everything will be alright in the end, and if it isn't alright, then it isn't the end.
3: Alright, join join in with me if you know it. Ho Silver! D- is not the Lone Ranger. <laughs> but he's riding on down Are you To up? rescue you It's Boone
4: oh, No, I don't know <laughs> You don't remember Boone? Neil I, thought Morrissey. Gonna go, I thought it was going to be that Oonga Chaka, Oonga Chaka Oonga, Oonga, Ooga, Ooga. I can't stop this feeling
2: Ooga, Ooga. Ooga, Ooga. Deep inside Ooga. of this graveyard <laughs> Girl, you just don't realise What you do to me when you poison,
3: maze blood, and you fill in my home with concrete. <laughs> I'm stuck on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, good season, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Very yes. good. Yeah. Uh...
0: I've written a joke here that I don't understand again. Let's start with ah, that. Right,
4: let's go on, go on, say <laughs> it. Come on, let's hear it. We've <laughs> go got to hear it. We, we'll be the
0: judge of that. Ah, uh, No, I get it. Okay. <laughs> 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 uh, but what did the panel think of the good doctor's plan? Well, our side, good, Ben? Garth Marenghi.
3: It was worth the wait. (laughs) Next time you do that, just write Garth Marenghi so you don't forget. Yeah. I did. I wrote Garth Uh, Marenghi. How's that Garth (laughs) Marenghi?
0: Looking at it. (laughs) Bravo, sir. Bravo. (laughs) Excellent. Our task this week is to defeat. Oh, that's gone a bit wrong. Defeat knockoff boon. I'll delete one of those words, shall I?
2: Is there some kind of name after there to guide the style in which you should have read that? <laughs> Alfred yeah, H. Cork, uh, Bob Cowleges. Chris Kamara.
3: <laughs> Maybe because you were thinking, like, the original Boone is Michael Elphick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm just, I wrote a little song at the start, obviously kept me saying this, I'm trying to remember what the tune was. <laughs>
2: <laughs> is there, a, isn't there <laughs> a guideline in brackets next to it? <laughs> It just says Harry Belafonte. (laughs) Harry Belafonte. (laughs) Garth
4: Marenghi. (laughs) (laughs) Timmy Mallet.
2: It's probably Timmy, Timmy
1: Mallet, to be fair.